When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And welcome back to a mini podcast. <laughs> we just really, really felt bad because we've been messing with the audio and we just know the quality is not great and we're honestly doing our best and I spent like another three hours on audio today and for some reason it just is not working. Like here's the thing, here's the thing. Gabby spent literally so much time working on all this stuff. There is no reason that it shouldn't have worked. Like when we were testing stuff, uh, not yesterday, but wait no we did do it was yesterday yeah when we were testing it it was like oh my god yes this is great it works and then we actually do the recording and it just stops and it's so embarrassing because we spent like the first five minutes talking like oh my god this audio is so great this is so good not to mention on i think it was tuesday we literally spent that entire like evening we spent two hours, like the time we would be recording the podcast, working on the audio, and then it just didn't work. And then we did that the next day, same thing. I spent like an hour and a half after work today just messing with audio. It worked perfectly. I'm not even joking. It was better. It was so good. It was literally butter. And then it just stopped working. And then I got home and everything just went to... Well, no, no, it's not even that I got home because when I got home, I listened to it and it worked. And then we go play with our daughter for a few hours to come back and nothing works it's really frustrating so if anybody knows how to get podcast sounds to work i've watched youtube videos i've listened to podcasts on podcasting i have read all of the manuals we bought six microphones we literally own so many microphones xlr usb audio interfaces power packages i don't know it's it's really frustrating for here but but i'm hoping looking at this and obviously we're going to listen to this after here and we're going to see i think that this is good yeah this i'm i'm really hoping this works for us and then on top of that obviously this is going to go up on patreon first so this is you guys bonus bonus episode exactly Yay. exactly and on that note for here this really is a true bonus episode among anything uh this was something that i planned on adding to the end of the previous podcast episode on the fourth crusade but i didn't and honestly, I'm kind of glad that I didn't because it's such a fun little story and I really don't want that to be screwed around by bad audio, you know? Like, th this is a mini crusade. It's it's the children's crusade, which... Now, I say mini crusade. G Gabby, I think I explained this before, but remember what a... Um, like, what makes a crusade a crusade? Like, how? I don't know. Well, uh, the thing with the crusade, and this is, I think, something that confuses a lot of people, because I don't think many people understand that. They think like, oh, crusade, that means religious war. But no, it, it doesn't just mean religious war. It is a war that has been sanctioned or called for by the Pope. If the Pope didn't call for it, it's not a crusade. That's that's like one of the key aspects of crusades and Catholicism and that kind of thing. That That's what ties into it. It's so, kind of ironic that the most religious figure is the one that has to call for the war. Um, just a lot to unpack there. Yep. 
Yep. Well, that's kind of how it would go. So that was that's that's the backing of why the Children's Crusade, though it's called that name colloquially, it's not actually a crusade. So you may wonder then, okay, well, what happened with it? What am I talking about? Well, in the spring of 1212, so shortly after the uh, the Fourth Crusade, in the region of Vidome in France, there was this group of youths who claimed, mind you, to have experienced visions which prompted them to set off and fight the Muslims in order to regain Jerusalem. The leader of this group of youths was a guy by the name of Stephen, also like me, because my name is Stephen. I know it's Sakui, but it's Stephen. But this guy, this was Stephen of Cloyes, who he was a shepherd. And now, mind, according to legend, what Stephen had done is that he approached King Philip II of France, and he claimed while he was tending his flock one day to have received a miraculous letter that was given to him directly by hand by Jesus Christ. So Christ just gave him a letter. And that letter instructed Stephen that he was supposed to go forth, he was supposed to preach the crusade, gather followers wherever he went, and he was going to set out for war. Now, of course, the king, hearing this story, per legend, just completely dismissed these claims, and naturally, Stephen too. But the boy, undeterred, he went on preaching, and he just went all across the region any way that he could, and began to accumulate actually a fairly significant number of followers, the majority of whom were children, hence the Children's Crusade. So then, also in 1212, there was groups of young people who gathered in the regions of Cologne in Germany, as also, like with France, the Low Countries and the Rhineland, these were also areas where the church had been evangelizing all over the place, trying to get as much support for the official crusades as they could. But in Cologne, there was this young leader who was a local boy called Nicholas, and he carried around a kind of cross that it, it looked like um so it was a towel cross which is something that resembles the letter t there and so when the french group influenced the germans or maybe vice versa we're actually not sure which like one group was influencing the other whatever happened essentially it, we, we don't really know or even could be independent of one another either way yeah, I, I don't even know how I'm supposed to explain this because it gets really confusing because they don't really know. There's a lot of conflicting stories and secondhand accounts that describe this. So we don't know really what was going on between them, whether or not they were independent or not. The whole thing is very confused and it's inconsistent. But anyway, there is some debate as to whether this popular crusading movement was actually formed by children as the medieval records are again really confused and the term that they use since they were speaking latin in order to explain a lot of this it's a word called um pueri and pueri could include children adolescents but also adults because like there there was norman and alpine monks that recorded that the pueri in this case actually included a number of adolescents as well as old people but regardless of the matter, the movement was very significant because it involved so many people who were not normally so directly connected with crusading. Like, it wasn't normally a thing for them. You see, as I explained earlier, a crusade is typically called by the Pope, and the Pope was supposed to urge rulers, the nobility, professional knights, like, you know, the warriors, these people. They were supposed to take up arms in the causes of Christianity and 
commoners, while they could participate, generally speaking, they were oftentimes discouraged because they didn't have the the means, the skills, the discipline, like none of the stuff that you would actually need to fight normally. Hell, they wouldn't have equipment or money or really anything to to do there. Like this was the crusades were a massive military mobilization all across Europe. It just it doesn't seem like it would work. So the children's crusade as it was known was not an official crusade that was sanctioned by the church. But regardless of that whole official amount, can you can you hazard a guess, Gabby, at how, how many people gathered up on this thing? Like how many children they got going on here? I'm going to say 10,000. Double that. Tw- tw- how did they get 20,000 children? We don't know. Like, that's the thing. We, we genuinely don't know. And it, it could be exaggeration. Again, a lot of these records that are describing the event in the first place are very... Um, they're not, they're, they're very inconsistent with one another. So it could be a thousand. It could be 20,000. It could be a hundred thousand. I mean, it's probably not a hundred thousand. It's probably not that big. Medieval sources and all sources in general have a tendency to exaggerate numbers in the first place because it's better to, I guess, say more than say too little in regards to it. I I don't know. It it varies. But anyway, these 20,000 children then set off and they crossed both Germany and France, either separately or at one point they joined forces. Like, we don't know. Again, all these sources kind of conflict and say what it is they did. But their goal was to reach the Italian port of Genoa, where they were going to try and find ships in order to take them to the Holy Land. Some of the groups there then may have made their way to different ports, like, you know, Pisa that was further south, or Marseille, which was in southern France, or if they even went through Italy, like through all of Italy, they could reach, uh, like, the southern ports around, like, what was the Roman Brindisium, which I think was called Brindisi at this time. But Brindisi? Yeah, Brindisi, which okay. was um, Brindisium. That's That was its name for it here. Yeah, that's that's what I was saying. You're turning this into something completely different, aren't you? Absolutely not. I would never. You, so are you gonna are you gonna go find Italy? You're gonna go visit Italy and its Brindisi. I is that what you're saying? Don't know what you're referring to. <laughs> I'm just here to learn. <laughs> so, unfortunately, though, uh, a lot of those travelers remember it was children and also the poor. They depended entirely on charity wherever they went, and this caused a lot of them to die of hunger as they were crossing the Italian Alps, and when the remainder arrived in Genoa, they didn't have any money to actually pay for their passage. Like, remember what happened with the Venetians and the Fourth Crusade? Yeah, these weren't trained knights. They weren't going to take a bunch of children and use them as labor for, like, taking over a city to repay them or anything. So the Genoese just refused to do anything for them. They didn't help them. And in some of the versions for legend, the children supposedly believed that when they crossed, like, when they reached the Mediterranean, that they were going to be able to part it like the Red Sea had done for Moses, and that when it miraculously opened, they were just going to walk through the entire Mediterranean Ocean until they got to Jerusalem. Like, that that's, that's how that goes. But um, after neither the miracle or any other help actually came to, you know, aid them... Some of the children, and I'm sure it was just like a large amount of them, went home. 
what exactly remained to the rest of them, we don't know because the stories that came afterwards are effectively legends that were created by additional writers who were trying to explain what was happening and also moralists who were working on behalf of the Catholic Church where according to some of the sources most of the children were like shipped off to Sardinia or to Egypt or even Baghdad and there they were going to be like sold into slavery and that kind of thing but this version doesn't really seem to be real it doesn't seem to be based on anything it's more so that the church who was trying to record the actions of what was happening they wanted to treat the whole affair as a kind of um cautionary moral tale which was supposed to be this warning to others that the only way that a papal or that a crusade could actually happen and possibly succeed was with papal authority otherwise it wasn't going to work at all in fact, some of the versions of the story, you had children who, when they got to Rome, the Pope, uh, or not the Pope, the Pope then told them to go home and, like, forgave them and, what's the term? When, when you swear to go on crusade, you're making a vow, and this can't be removed unless the Pope himself removes the vow. So that's what they did. And so this rabble of beggars without any ability to support themselves or any military training or weapons or literally anything they just kind of faded from where were their history. parents where, where were their parents you They're know that's like, a oh, fantastic question i'm gonna question. go on a crusade i'm a child okay have fun sweetie this is like pokemon <laughs> this is pokemon <laughs> they were like okay i'm 10 years old now guess i'll go off on my own yeah what was this i i don't know I, I don't know how to describe it because here's the thing there's a lot of stuff for did the children's crusade even happen and we don't know I hope it didn't because really all of the sources about it here like something probably happened there was probably some big movement but did the stories pan out like the legend with you know the the letter supposedly given by Jesus or you know being sold into slavery or 20,000 of them do this probably not like, I'm really hoping that they had this brilliant idea to send their children off to war. And then they were like, wait, maybe we shouldn't do that. But someone was like, hey, this makes such a great little story. So they wrote it down and then it just kind of snowballed. From oh, there. oh, 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 funny thing. Funny thing here. Um, OK, so, Gabby, remember how I've done stuff here for Paradox Interactive and Crusader Kings, which also if you if you all know what I'm talking about here, Paradox, they make some great games. This is not sponsored by Paradox. I'm just telling you all they have sponsored me in other things. and I love their games. There is a series of events in Crusader Kings 2, and I actually am not sure if it's in CK3 yet because I haven't played through to that point which I hope that I will be able to at some point here. But in Crusader Kings 2, there is an event for the Children's Crusade that will actually occur where it spawns this massive peasant army, like as a revolt, that moves its way towards the uh, the Middle East. And the thing is, 99% of the time it fails. But if the Middle East at this time just went through like some big war all their manpower is depleted they don't have really any ability to fight anything when the 20,000 warriors of the Children's Crusade invade they just siege down the entirety of, of the Holy Land and they take it and then there's this big event that just says against all odds without any thought like the, the Children's Crusade has actually succeeded reporters uh, stated that eyewitness accounts of 
Gabriel appeared from the sky with a flaming sword. It's 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 so good. It's such a random little fun event, and it just this whole thing makes me think of that. Interesting. Well, I'm just really hoping it didn't happen for obvious reasons. Being a mom, I'm like, why? Wait, but I've been training Joya to be a knight. Like we've literally been practicing her lancing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, I kid you not, guys. We we actually are. We um, I she has a toy horse, and I gave her the handle of a broomstick. And I have a, a pillow and she charges while on the, the horse to like lance or impale me with the uh, with the broomstick. Well, guys, I hope you it's, enjoyed this. episode. It's great. <laughs> I, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And... You're just trying to end it and yeah. get us off of this. And I hope you don't train your kids to go off and fight in the crusades. Um, that's probably not a brilliant idea. Or do we don't know. Modern Maybe technology just give and them all. a Pokedex and send them out into the wild. It sounds a little bit safer. Just fend for yourself, kid. Anyway, I appreciate you all listening to this here in the first place. Thank you very much. And I do apologize for some of the sound quality from last time. Uh, this, hopefully, we have it now fixed with everything that we're doing. We're now recording in the in our actual house, not just the garage. We probably don't have it fixed. I'm not going to give you false hope, but we will have it fixed, whether I... This, If this is the last thing I do, it'll be worth it. Because let me tell you, I'm putting so much energy into this. But thank you guys for listening. Um, join us on Patreon. And also, don't forget to send in your family history stories. Because we really want to hear um, about your relatives. Like, your historical relatives. I've heard a lot of people say they were related to people like Alexander Graham Bell. And other amazing historical figures. And I would like to hear about that. I love hearing about that. I love hearing you guys' stories. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Goodbye, my hoes. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story. It's unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.